This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. Who's that? Who's that? What you want? Police. We've had some complaints about con men pretending to be blind and uh, crippled. Oh, I'd love to help you, man, but I ain't seen nothing since I stepped on that landmine in Viet Cong back in 72. It was rough, very painful. You were in Nam? So were we. Where? Um, I was in um, Sang Bang, Dangang. Uh, uh, I was all over that place, basically. A lot of places. A lot of places. What unit were you in? Uh, I was with the Green Beret, a uh, special unit battalion's uh, commando airborne tactics, specialist tactics uh, unit battalion. Yeah, it was real hush-hush. I was Agent Orange, that was my name, Agent Orange, special Agent Orange, that was me. Airborne, huh? I can see! I can see! I have le- I, I have legs! I have legs! Oh, shit, look at this! Man, I can walk, Jesus! I'm going to go listen to the latest, greatest episode of 80s Revisited right now, because it's happening right here with me, your host, Trey Harris. With me, as always, the places to my trading. I know it's a stretch when I make these comments. Jesse Sedgley. (laughs) Yes, I am. And we're back. Christmas was great. Had a great Christmas. Hope everybody else out there had one as well. And again, as promised, I know I put you through hell with Babes in Toyland. Maybe not so much hell in hindsight when we watch Santa Claus the movie. Uh, the week after that. But now we get to talk about a bona fide classic, a truly great, though problematic, question mark, Christmas movie in the form of Trading Places. This is one I watch every single year. Love it to death. I think it's a great movie. It's a great chemistry, blah, blah, blah. Let's get into it right away here. Got a ton of stuff to talk about. So Trading Places, strangely enough, released June 8th, 1983 could have held it up for a couple months to release it closer to christmas would have been nice alas they didn't but never the and actually there's a better reason i'll get to why they should have held it back but uh imdb 7.5 absolutely rotten tomatoes though 88 percent critics 84 percent audience bonafide fantastic uh as far as i'm concerned i think bonafide might be the word of the episode i think i said it mm-hmm. twice already uh, budget. I forgot to put that on IMDb. So while Jesse's looking that up, as he usually does, uh, it opened for seven point at seven point three million, which is pretty good. However, and this is why they should have held it back a couple of months. Budget was fifteen million estimated. Thank you, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, that was seven point three was only good enough to get this movie number three at the box office the weekend of release. Why? Well, two reasons: Jedi and James Bond. Number one. For the third week in release, Return of the Jedi. Uh, that's what I should have pushed it back to begin with because you can't compete against that, especially then. And uh, Octopussy was number two in its first week. So it got beat by Return of the Jedi and Octopussy, which is understandable. This being a comedy, Eddie Murphy's first like big movie uh, as well. This is pre-Ghostbusters, you know, so Dan Aykroyd's not that big of a... Uh, of a draw just yet necessarily uh, in some circles, especially compared to Bond the Bond franchise, and of course, the uh, Star Wars franchise. However, it would domestically go on to gross $90.4 million. This was a huge hit. Huge! As our disgraced former president would say. Uh, rightfully so. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's also kind of puzzling. There was never a trading places again or anything, because this is 83. The 80s is decades of sequelitis for the most part. Quick sequelitis. 
Uh, but you know, never a sequel though. I think there's a way you could probably do one. Be nice to see these characters again, uh, be less problematic a little mm-hmm. bit, uh, directed by, I would say the great, but he's a total asshole. John Landis, uh, American werewolf in London thriller and spoiler alert next week's episode, because I want to talk about this twilight zone, the movie, the infamous, he didn't direct the whole thing. He's one of the main directors in it. He did the uh, particular segment, which is infamous infamous is that like more than famous <laughs> here he goes uh but anyway yeah so more on that next week so there's your homework for next week twilight zone the movie we'll get to see not only john landis direct again and get three people murdered spoiler alert but we can see dan Aykroyd again in the bookend uh, or the opening little story uh anyway written by timothy harris no relation and herschel ween oh actually i put a space in there for some reason uh herschel winrod winrod weenrod have no clue how you pronounce that. I think I'm close. Uh, but they apparently are a writing team, and they have written some great things in addition to Trading Places. They also did Kindergarten Cop, one of my favorites, Twins, and the OG Space Jam. So they got a, they got some good things to their uh, uh, resume, so to speak. Cinematography was by Robert Painter, which is a f- perfect last name for a cinematography. Your cinematography, you're painting the scene, so to speak. Uh, but he did Superman two and three. He also worked with Landis on the Thriller music video. And Muppets Take Manhattan. So pretty good uh, resume for him as well. And starring. This this movie is loaded. Much like uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, you got your principal cast. But you have a lot. The last, like, one, two, three, four, five entries on this list for the cast are all basically character actors. So a ton and ton of character actors in this as well. Uh, and again, 83. So this is a lot of these actors are... This is one of the biggest movies they maybe might have been in at that point as they become more and more character actors. But more on that in just a second. Uh, starring Eddie Murphy as Billy Ray Valentine. Of course, he would go on to do Beverly Hills Cop, Coming to America, which is basically a sequel to this movie. Or it takes place in the Trading Places universe, however you want to put it, uh, in The Golden Child. A fantastic comedian on SNL. Was one of the, the one of the first big, big like uh, cast members from SNL to really hit it big in the movies. Uh, like to to a, to the level that he did with you know Beverly Hills Cop and everything. I mean, Murphy was a huge draw. It was like you know Jim Carrey levels when Jim Carrey came out when Eddie Murphy went to movies. The lovely and still beautiful Jamie Lee Curtis as Ophelia, of course, Halloween, uh, Fish Called Wanda, True Lies, Cinema Legend. Uh, Dan Aykroyd as Winthorpe, of course, Ghostbusters, My Stepmother as an Alien, the recently covered Great Outdoors, uh, Denham Elliott as Coleman the Butler. Uh, most I. The number one thing you should know him from is the Indiana Jones series uh, as the uh, museum. Oh, what's his name? Oh, man. Got lost in his own museum, huh? I can't think of his character name in that. But nevertheless, from Indiana Jones trilogy. Uh, and then Ralph Bellamy is the first of the Duke twins. Uh, he's uh, He was uh, probably the oldest actor or most, I guess. What I mean by that is yeah, he probably age-wise probably was the most oldest. Mm-hmm. But um most vetted actor. He was, he went far back as far back to the universal monster series with the Wolfman, uh, his girl Friday. And his last film was pretty woman. So extensive, extensive resume that he had going way back, almost 200 credits on IMDb wow. and his brother, Mortimer Duke, the late, great Donna Miche, of course, a veteran of the podcast, which we covered when we first came back with cocoon. Uh, Also, he was a voice in Homeward Bound, and he was also previously before Cocoon in the podcast when we did Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, Another veteran of the podcast, Paul Gleason as Clarence Beeks, 
also known as the man who gets raped by a gorilla. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, of course, veteran of the podcast with The Breakfast Club and another Christmas movie, Die Hard. So if you want to do a Die Hard and this make a great Christmas double feature, thanks to Paul Gleason. And also, I would definitely consider him a character actor. He always plays kind of that hard-ass something that always kind of gets his comeuppance in a movie. Kind of like uh, Walter, the, I forget the actor's name that plays Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. Uh, but then Robert Earl Jones as a chauffeur. That sounds familiar. Is that James's brother? Nah, bro. It's his dad. <laughs> Robert Earl Jones. Uh, he was, the, like I said, the chauffeur. He's James's dad. He was in Sleepaway Camp, Witness, The Sting. Another uh, kind of, uh, I would say a character actor. He, he would turn, he, he's instantly recognizable to me because of his mustache. Uh, always, you see him in the background of some things. He's a uh, very big character actor. And another character actor at this point who would go on to be one of the best working actors out there, I think, for a very particular role, uh, Giancarlo Esposito as Guy in Jail Cell. Mm-hmm. When Eddie Murphy's explaining how he did his karate moves, he's one of those guys. Uh, but if you don't recognize the name, you'll recognize the face. He's Gus in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. And most recently, uh, he was the Black Saber character Dark Saber, I think. Whatever, like, it's in the Mandalorian, the the right. Tie Fighter guy that cuts out. I, I don't know. I, I think it's called a Dark Saber, not a Black Saber. Uh, I don't know because I didn't watch the Clone Wars. Although it's supposed to be really good, I have seen a few episodes. I have nothing bad to say about it. Just haven't watched it all. Uh, and then also a legendary actor, Frank Oz, as the cop uh, with the mustache and the bald head, instantly recognizable. Also considered John Lannis's good luck charm. Maybe that's why. What happened in the Twilight Zone happened because maybe Frank Oz wasn't in that segment. I don't know. More on that next week. Uh, but Frank Oz, oh, cool name. It's like Oz, you know, like that jail show on uh, HBO from the 90s. And also, you know, Wizard of Oz. Well, he's also the voice of Miss Piggy and Puppeteer of Miss Piggy, multiple other Muppets, Yoda. And he's pretty much nearly in every other John Landis movie out there. Another character actor you'll instantly recognize, Bill Cobbs. He's the bartender. He was in Demolition Man. He was, I think, the police chief or one of the chiefs, uh, one of the authority figures in the police station in Demolition Man. I think he's the one that like says like uh, he's he's the one that like has a scene where he hypes up Wesley Snipes or something like that, like about mm-hmm. how evil he was or Stallone. But he's also in People Under the Stairs. So when you see him, you'll recognize him. One of those you know distinctive character actors, and. Rounding out this long, well, actually, I got two more, but I really don't consider them worthwhile mentioning except for the fact they're in it. But the last of the major cast, definitely worth pointing out, Bo Diddley. Yes, the Bo Diddley is the pawn shop owner. Uh, Who's Bo Diddley? A lot of young people might say. I I think I've heard of him. He's an even musician. Yes, he is. Uh, He was also in Blues Brothers 2000, unfortunately, not the original one, (laughs) because Blues Brothers 2000 is one of the worst sequels ever made in my opinion. But Bo Diddley, for all you youngins out there, is pretty much one of the most famous and influential musicians that has ever lived. Uh, he's famous for the Bo Diddley beat. What's that, Trey? Uh, think of the opening of Faith, like dun 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 that kind of beat that's very mm-hmm. reminiscent of what's called the Bo Diddley beat. Uh, a very, very influential musician. He's influenced, well, a uh, little background uh to educate all of us, uh, his ba- basically his youth of African rhythms and a signature beat, a simple five accent ham bone rhythm. Again, think of the intro to faith is kind of a cornerstone of a lot of modern hip hop, rock and pop music. He influenced such people as Buddy Holly, Elvis, the Beatles, Rolling Stones and the Clash. So, you know, you hear it a lot like how, you know, I hear it a lot you know, uh, in movies and stuff, how, you know, like, uh, when people say like, you know, oh, black people gave us hip hop. Well, they also gave us rock and roll. Bo Diddley's a perfect example 
a pioneer of rock and roll alongside people like Chuck Berry and everything uh, that greatly influenced the genre and would not would you know wouldn't be what it is today without people like Bo Diddley. Uh, and then rounding out the cast, Jim Belushi is a man in the monkey suit. He's a co-tail writer. And then Al Franken is a baggage guy. He's from SNL. So there you go. That rounds out the cast. Now about this movie. Now I've watched this, like I said, I watch this movie pretty much every year for Christmas or, you know, in between Christmas and New Year's because it, it covers both. It's a good, kind. it's kind of like Nightmare Before Christmas. You, Nightmare Before Christmas, you can watch, you know, the day after Halloween. It's kind of that transitional movie from Halloween to Christmas. Trading Places is kind of a transitional movie from Christmas to New Year's. So it's kind of a good, those are kind of like my holiday bookend movies. Nightmare in the beginning, in the season, so to speak, with Trading Places. Uh, but this movie in so many levels holds up. And then in a lot of ways it doesn't. Uh, just went on to mention it again. It doesn't hold up in the use of some of the derogatory terms that are used. Uh, mainly towards Eddie Murphy. And then uh, Eddie Murphy even uses one for... Uh, another sect, another minority of people, which again, not really acceptable today. And then uh, probably the biggest thing is that uh, Dan Aykroyd comes in again. We spoil these movies, so if you don't want to be spoiled, obviously, mm. you know, you should have seen this already if you're watching this, listening to this, excuse me. Uh, in the end, Dan Aykroyd comes in in blackface. So now, mm. uh, you know, everybody has their opinion on that. Obviously, they would not do that today. Uh, but, you know, make up your own mind what you think of it. You know, I don't think it's. I, it's it's not meant, I don't think, to be... It, it was meant to be funny, but that's really not considered funny these days, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, understandably so, but, you know, make of it what you will. It's a free country. Uh, but anyway, this movie, the jokes... Eddie Murphy is on fire this entire movie. This is the movie... Like, there's no doubt in 83, when you were... If you were watching this in 83, I mean, I was three years old, I, I did not see this in 83, uh, that... When you're watching this, like this Eddie Murphy guy is hilarious. If you haven't seen SNL, if you haven't seen Gumby, or was it? It was still. Then he called him still. It was still Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, wasn't it? That he did on SNL, I think so. But of course, it was the Hood, not the or Mr. Rogers' Hood. I can't forget the how he did an SNL. But you know, I mean, he was a revel. He, he saved SNL with his fresh take on comedy, and then he exploded in movies in big regards thanks to his performance in this film. That is absolute genius. I mean. And he plays different characters. You know, he plays the 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 beggar basically. You know, with the, the with the intro, he plays you know the Merry New Year guy from Cameroon, and he, you know he's, then he's doing the duality of being you know a poor guy from the street thrust to being a rich guy, and all that entails. I mean, he shows his range in here, and he's consistently funny. He's fantastic. Uh, also, Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing in this film. And again, up until this point in '83, she was mainly you know, she was a scream queen. She was the scream queen. And this was like her first big, really big non horror role. And she kills it. Uh, and Dan Aykroyd, like, again, I, I like Dan Aykroyd, but he's so much better as he is in this film than like, say the great outdoors, uh, as you know, part of, he's a, he's a good member of an ensemble cast. Uh, in terms of like comedy, I think his comedy works well when paired. He's like a, I think Don, Dan Aykroyd is like a fine comedic wine. When you mm. pair it with the right thing, it's magic. A la Ghost, this. Uh, Great Outdoors, I mean, you can, again, you can always blame the writing and everything. Didn't care for him in that in terms of his, you know, how, uh, maybe his character, you know, just character in that. Go listen to that episode for more info on that. But kind of all over the place on this movie. But bottom line is, 
It's still funny. It's still great. <laughs> it's got everything in it, uh, pretty much from racism to boobies to all sorts of stuff. But one thing that's I think really needs to be pointed out about this film is it's in terms of its comedy, it's it's relevant. But the story itself and the joke and the the satire it's doing on society. I mean, just look at the intro. You're cutting back between these. You know, hardworking people every day in the in the fish market where Rocky ran by, uh, in like Rocky one and two, and of course they show the Rocky statue in it too from three, uh, in the intro. But you're contrasting these scenes of like you know people at six a.m. getting up, taking the garbage out, you know, picking up the garbage, getting their stores open, and then you're contrasting it with this butler making this you know very exquisite breakfast for you know uh, Dan Aykroyd. So it, you know it's already got, it's already telling you what the movie's about. It's basically a, just how excuse me, the rich are and then the poor are. You know, the difference there is what it's, all this movie's about. And it does a great job of showing that through the progression of the characters. You know, Dan Aykroyd learning not to be an uptight jackass. And then uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, Bill Ray Valentine, excuse me is what I meant to say, because mm-hmm. it's a great name. Uh, you know, his learning to, you know, to appreciate some of the finer things. But, you know, it, it's, it's a good story at the core of it uh, that is very relevant even today. Uh, you know, so it, that's one reason, you know, that's one reason movies hold up. I think, you know, not just cause, Oh, the effects still hold up. That's part for like a sci-fi film or whatever, but you know, I mean, the movie's still got a good point. It's still, and they don't make movies really like this too much anymore. I got a good quote on that later on from, uh, the screenwriter, one of the screenwriters, but nevertheless, if you haven't seen it, highest possible recommendation, why are you listening to this? Stop, go watch it. I done ruined half the movie. It'll still, you'll still get a lot out of it though. I promise you. Because it's a great film, well acted, well shot. As much as I mean, John, despite John Landis being an asshole murderer, he's a pretty good director. I like his directing style. Don't like him as a person, but I can separate the art from the person uh, in that regard. More on my venom and why I'm so angry about that next week. In case you don't know the whole story behind that, uh, the tragedy on the set of the Twilight Zone. But anyway, Jesse, I know you've seen this movie because it's. Definitely more well-known than Santa Claus the Movie and Babes in Toyland. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the 83 classic, in my opinion, Trading Places? It's been forever since I've seen it. Um, some of the things you mentioned, actually, I forgot about completely. Uh, I just remember, like, the plot points here and there. But I remember enjoying it. Um, I've been out of town most of the week, but I would have liked to have uh, revisited this one myself. There's still yeah. time before Merry There's New Year. Still time. That's right. I'm sure. Time. I'm sure you could find online what time to start it, to where when he comes in and says Merry New Year, it's twelve <laughs> o'clock. It lines right up. No. So, yeah. Exactly. So that's a that's a good way to that'd be a good way to do it. <laughs> so yeah, but uh, you know, we're I mean, our tastes are very similar. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure you know upon a fresh watch, you'd you would be equally as enjoyed as you were in the past, and as I'm. Maybe overhyping it to some people, <laughs> to some people, I'm sure, but not to me. This movie's fucking great. It's really good. Still holds <laughs> up. Uh, it's one of those two. Like, and the one thing uh, I'd be, I'd be a miss. Uh, uh, say a miss. Uh, I'd be neglect in mentioning like the nuance of Eddie Murphy, in the, which is I think part of his genius at this point. You know, we don't talk about Pluto Nash and that kind of stuff, but it's such a nuanced performance with his expressions, and like he knows, like this is this is. You know, this is but the beginning of peak Eddie Murphy, in my opinion. Uh, you know, why was he such a big deal? Well, watch Trading Places, watch Beverly Hills Cop, look mm-hmm. at that performance. I mean, it's it's just comedic genius, honestly, in my opinion. 
you know, and of course, you know, his star kind of faded a bit, but it's kind of come back recently. Like we rehosted SNL for the first time, I think, in maybe either ever or for a long time. There's uh, Gus, the one on the bar. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. okay, again, y'all can't see it, but okay. I can point out to Jesse where uh, oh, uh, I guess Fringe from Breaking Bad is. Looks just like him, or looks like his son. Yeah. <laughs> this was his start before he went down the you know meth production and everything. He was in jail for a minor offense, but it set him it didn't set him straight. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. But the, Eddie Murphy he he breaks the fourth wall like twice in this movie, but it's it, at the perfect time. It's just it's just a glance at the camera, like okay, like you get it, like this you know it, it's genius, truly genius, and absolutely deserves to be pointed out what they had here. And how this was such a this why this was such a launching board for his success throughout the eighties and into the early nineties. I'm not sure when you'd say like he uh I guess fell out of favor. I mean, I always hear about Pluto Nash being such a disaster. And I think that might have been either late nineties or beginning of the two thousands. So I mean but Eddie Murphy's a comedic genius, uh hundred and ten percent. So but anyway, there now there is like a ton of trivia on this movie. Hmm. So if there's a fact that you know and I leave it out. It's just because there's so much. <laughs> but again, if, if you really enjoy this movie and you want to even hear more nuanced trivia about it, go to IMDb, go to Wikipedia, you know, while you're on the, on the toilet, in the bathtub, whatever, or in the shower if your phone's waterproof and you do something like that, which I think would be incredibly weird to be on your phone <laughs> in the shower. <laughs> just take a bath or get in a hot tub. Uh, so check it out there. But uh, some of the high point or some of the most notable things definitely worth chatting about to me uh, or for the podcast at least are uh, – when, uh, in case you didn't know, and I mentioned earlier, alluded to how like coming into America and this kind of take place in this same universe, there's a scene in Coming to America where when Eddie Murphy and uh, Arsenio, Arsenio Hall, they're walking and they see the, uh, the uh, Duke brothers poor, I think they're by a wharf or something, and Eddie Murphy or Prince Akeem gives them money. But they're the same characters from this film. So mm. in the world of Trading Places, the... Uh, you know, all the country, I forget the country where uh, they're from and coming to America. The fict- I think it's a fictional country. I can't remember. I don't remember the intro where they say where it is. Uh, but Prince Akeem is a real person. So mm. not only does Billy Ray Valentine become rich after this, he's also a dead ringer for Prince Akeem from coming to America. That's so a cool little, it's a, it's a fun cameo. Uh, you know, I like it when movies do stuff like that. You know, it's not like an over-the-top thing. It's more like a, you see the scene, the short scene. If you know it, you know it. If you don't, it goes over your head. It doesn't detract from the movie. It's not one of those kind of like in-joke things. But originally, this was going to be a Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor film, which would have been great. I would like yeah. to see that version, but I think this one is ended up, we ended up in the best universe for this movie being made. Because, of course, Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor teamed up. Uh, Stir Crazy, Hear No Evil, See No Evil, uh, Silver Streak, and they had a run of movies together because they were amazing together. Uh, always loved all their films together. Again, it would, would have been cool to see how it, it would have been done with them for this. Alas, it wasn't meant to be. But basically, Richard Pryor dropped out early on, and Gene Wilder pulled out when he heard that Eddie Murphy didn't want to do the film with Wilder because, not for anything against Gene Wilder, he just didn't want to be put in Richard Pryor's shadow, which is completely understandable. Because you put him in with Gene Wilder, it's like, oh, is this guy just replacing... Eddie, uh, Richard Pryor? No, he's his own comedian, rightfully so. So, uh, hope like there was no bad blood between him and Gene yeah. Wilder or anything. Because I think it's undeserved. I think it's pretty. I think that's a real concern, like you know, for your career. Uh, when this happened, though, the script was still being written at this point. So some of the dialogue written for Pryor was, of course, given to Murphy, 
such as what we opened the podcast with because Eddie Murphy wouldn't have been old enough to be in, have been a Vietnam veteran at the time <laughs> as well, which honestly makes that joke even funnier because it's Eddie Murphy being a Vietnam veteran. Right. And again, I'm not sure. I imagine the timelines may be just off by a couple of years, maybe. I'm not sure when he was born, but I think it, it works better for the film that, to leave that in just how, because it'd be like me saying, yeah, I fought in Nam, you know, and because I'm 40. <laughs> You know, so that obviously that I was de- uh, dead, dead, <laughs> knock on wood, uh, don't want to be dead. I wasn't even born before, you know, when Vietnam was still a war, even of and on, even before the evacuation of Saigon, you know, so that totally wouldn't work. <laughs> but it works in the film. I think it gives that extra little comedic punch because, you know, it makes it even it's, it's already unbelievable. I mean, you know that he's acting blind and legless or uh, handicapped, I guess I should say. I don't know if legless is considered insensitive these days. Uh, you know, so just another layer of the comedy of it. And that's like much like much like Ghostbusters, much like Three Amigos. This film just has layers upon layers of comedy that uh, just really make it stand out. And like I think I mentioned on I think it was The Great Outdoors or The Armed and Dangerous. Like, you know, this, I would say, is one of the funniest movies of the 80s. It would probably be in my top 10 funniest movies of the 80s. Uh, I think it, it, it because it holds up so much, unlike, you know, Great Outdoors, it's fine. Armed and Dangerous, it's fine, but it's not in the same league. Not in the same sport as Trading Places, Three Amigos, or uh, Ghostbusters, to me. To, again, to me. All opinions yeah. are valid. Uh, unless you're like the Duke Brothers and use horrible words to describe <laughs> people. Uh, speaking of which, Don Amici's strong religious convictions made him uncomfortable with swearing. However, he did use the N-word <laughs> twice. Yeah. Uh, two variations of it. So that wasn't a problem for his religious convictions. Uh, wink, wink, jab, jab. Uh, so the scene at the end where he has to shout out, fuck him, to the group of Wall Street executives when they're, uh, they want his margin call due. He did act out the scene, but he said it had to be done in one take because he refused to do a second one. Wow. So racial slurs were fine for him, but saying the F word, no, 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 bad. Mm-hmm. So uh, get your priorities straight there, <laughs> in my opinion. It's all about uh, Dan how raised. Yep. <laughs> Exactly, you know, which I, I can and can't fault him for that, if that makes any sense. Uh, right. I don't know if it does. It makes sense in my head. Might be describing it wrong. Anyway, Dan Aykroyd's prison number is the same prison number as his blues brother, Jake, uh, from the Blues Brothers, when they take his mugshot, same prison number. And then also Frank Oz in the Blues Brothers is the the officer who gives Jake back his property at the beginning, but he's the officer who takes Dan Aykroyd's in this movie. So this movie also exists in the same world as the Blues Brothers, yeah. because Frank Oz is, a, is the, you know, you could pretend you, you could stretch it at least to say he's the same cop between those movies if you wanted to. So Eddie Murphy has a identical twin who's a king and Dan Aykroyd has an identical twin who's a very talented blues musician <laughs> and uh, can drive really, really good uh, stunt driver. So uh, a poster for the fictional film See You Next Wednesday is prominently featured in several shots of Ophelia's apartment. That's an it's a it's an in joke for John Landis movies. Uh, most notably, you'll see it in uh, as as the name of the porn film that's playing in uh, An American Werewolf in London. It's kind of his in joke. You know, basically, if you see a sign that says See You Next Wednesday and Frank Oz show up in a movie, you don't even know who di- you don't even have to get know who directed it because at that point you then know it is in fact John the asshole Landis. Uh, you know, like in, when you go to see Rocky Horror in the theater, 
or the play when you know part of the audience participation is every time somebody says Brad, you scream asshole. Right. I feel like you should do that anytime anybody mentions John Landis's name. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's why I keep throwing it in there. So that's just my stuff. Again, more on my vitriol about him <laughs> next week. Tease that. Yeah, I'm not trying to beat into the curious. ground. I'm just, I'm just saying. Uh, in 2010, as part of the Wall Street Transparency and Accountability Act, or WUSTATA, uh, that's all the you know the alliteration. I mean, the uh, what is it? What is it when it's like scuba and NASA? That's a what is that called? You know, where the first letter is the word. I don't forgot the oh. Um. I was hoping you knew if you don't, it's a big deal. It's one of those things. That's what I was trying to say. I wasn't just making a weird noise. <laughs> W-S-T-A-A. So, WISTA. WISTA. Uh, it, was, it was meant to regulate financial markets, uh, which basically it's, it's – yeah, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I knew, it basically stops – it, it's illegal. It makes it illegal from using secret inside information to corner markets, similar to what the Duke brothers did in this film. And since the movie – this movie actually inspired that rule, even though the rule didn't happen until 2010. The movie was in 83, so 27 years after the fact. Uh, it's known as the Eddie Murphy rule. So pretty funny. Uh, a couple of the moments of the film came by about accident. But remember, there are no accidents in film. Uh, most notably is a scene where Mortimer uh, tries to catch the money clip uh, after they he leaves it in the room to try to kind of test uh, Eddie Murphy. And he like – Knocks it a couple times and grabs it and storm off. But him and his brother stayed in character. They kept it in the movie. And another, uh, basically, you know, accident, so to speak. Jamie Lee Curtis couldn't do the correct Austrian accent for her character at the end. So that's why that character ended up being Swedish. But again, it, it makes it that, you know, Austria. I, I know where Austria is. I know where Sweden is. I can't tell you the accents differently, you know. They're not. They're. Uh, did I say Switzerland or I, said, no, I didn't say Sweden? I mean, you know, one is Northern Europe, one Southern Europe. I don't know how Austrian sound. I imagine it's close to. I don't. Honestly, I don't know what language they speak. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, whatever Schwarzenegger speaks natively, Austrian, I guess. I don't know if it's on dialect or not. I would assume. Again, any listener in Austria, please let me know because I want. I want. I'm ignorant on that. Ignorance is a good mm. thing. Ignorant means you don't know. I want to know. Of course. You know, I could always just look up Wikipedia, but I don't feel like it because I'm <laughs> recording right now. You know, but she she did the Swedish accent good, so it changed that character to be the Ah Ja from Sweden kind of character, which is hilarious in its own right. And she's uh more built to be a Swedish woman. Wink, wink, honk, honk. Uh, anyway, <whistles> sorry, bad joke. <laughs> Anyway, uh, for a period of time, the restaurant at the Weston Hotel in Philly was actually named the Winthorpe and Valentine after the characters in this movie. However, it is no longer named that. It is now just the the plain Jane named Leah Restaurant and Bar, which is nowhere near as f- cool as Winthorpe and Valentine. Because most of the people that even go in the bar, unless you have a big poster of trading places in it, which I would imagine they did, or some reference to it aside from the name, wouldn't even know. Take that down. Nobody's going to know. Until you really think about, like, wait a second, that sounds familiar. Oh yeah, trading places. <laughs> uh, and speaking of Europe, which I should, I guess, I should put this uh, funny thing after the uh, Sweden thing. Uh, but uh, actually, that was that wasn't in the notes. That just came out talking about wondering where they were. So it was organic. But uh, every year since 1997, the Italian channel Italia One broadcasts this movie on Christmas Eve. 
uh, it regularly gets more than a 10% of share. That means 10% of viewers are watching it, which is a huge share in TV. Uh, and again, on December 24th, 20, uh, this year, when it was, it was the most watched show on primetime TV on Italia One with a 14.6 share. So obviously this movie's pretty big, at least, I'd say around the world, but it, it, which I'm sure it is, but it's pretty big in Italy. Uh and according to John Landis, Jamie Lee Curtis was actually one of the hardest people to get the studio to agree to cast. Because, again, at this point, she was only known for her horror films. Uh, but as it's been proven, not just in this film, but many other ones, she's great, great at uh, with comedy as well. Uh, now, this, okay, the end of this, I don't, I don't understand the stock market. Everybody knows the buy low, sell high thing. You know, let me, okay, I, I have Robin Hood on my phone. And I'm trying to get all that moved over to like something more credible, like uh, not Bank of America. What's the other the big investing firm? I mean, something Robin a little Hood. more stable and reliable, uh, but as opposed from Robinhood. Yeah. So you know, my my stock market knowledge is Robinhood level, <laughs> but this film requires a little bit more than that. So this is this is the fun learning. This is the more you know part. So this is not meant to be funny. This is just explaining the end of the movie. If you're like me, and of course you get the gist of it. Oh, they're rich and they're poor. Here is why. So the scheme buy low, sell high is easy enough to understand, but what is not explained is what is being bought and sold. They're not buying actual orange juice, but futures. Uh, so in the end, when Winthorpe and Valentine are left with contracts that obliges them to buy orange juice at a low price, but when they're saying buy and sell, they also have the obligation of the others who have committed to buy it from them the high price giving them a huge profit on each of their contracts. Whereas the Dukes bought everything immediately when it was high because they they did the opposite and they were forced to sell low, which that's why they're bankrupt. And the reason this happens immediately, even though because you're dealing with futures, is because you have what is called and what is mentioned in the movie, a quote, margin call at the end of the day's trading. So when you're trading futures, you must have a margin available, which is a percentage of the value of the future contracts. They don't have that much money available, so they go broke, but Winthorpe and Valentine are fine because they can point to their guaranteed to be profitable futures and get a loan for the margin. Uh, the reason they also get Ophelia and Coleman to like pitch in their life savings is because when obtaining a future contract, you need to pay a small percentage of the value of the contract to the one you're striking the deal with. So dun, 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 dun. <laughs> there you go. In the most simplest terms, the most convenient definitions, quote the breakfast club. There's that's the technical aspect of the end. So of course, if you're if you're a day trader and you want to give me some tips, I'm totally open to them. Yeah. Uh, Age at gmail.com. Me and Jesse both would love to hear all your tips. So mm -hmm. we can always use new studio stuff. Mainly, Jesse, I got everything I need with a laptop and a microphone <laughs> and my daughter's headphones, which fit my head, which is odd, which is fine because my wife always thinks I have a big head. And if you think I got a big head, I can wear kids' headphones. So I got a tiny head. It's like uh, that. Rest you ever seen that wrestling promo with Sid Vicious where he's talking to Kevin Nash, and he's like, uh, "You're half the man I am, Nash, yeah. and I've got half the brain that you do." So, <laughs> oh, Sid, one of the best, you know, best slash work. Psycho Sid, you know, here's a here's a tangent for everybody. Psycho Sid has some great promos, mm -hmm. but he also has like bad ones. Like he's hilarious. Like I think when there was one, I think when. I think Stone Cold steals his car or something, or somebody steals his car and his acting is just so bad. And of course, the, the one I just mentioned. However, 
the, one of the most infamous things in wrestling, blooper-wise, is you know the Shockmaster entrance. Sid Vicious stayed in character the whole time through that. <laughs> no, everybody else is like, you know, covering their faces, looking away, trying not. Sid is the whole time. I was like, oh, I'm not scared of you, Shockmaster. What? Like he stays in character after seeing Typhoon trip and bust his ass. Like yeah. he's, he doesn't leave. So he's one of the greatest actors in wrestling, but also one of the worst. So just watch the Shockmaster clip. If you don't know what I'm talking about. It's it's legendary. Even yeah. if you don't like wrestling, it is. <laughs> I can't watch it without laughing. I mean, it's just it's so great. <laughs> the funniest thing, he puts the helmet back on. He like shakes his head after he puts it on to like you know clear the haze. After yeah. You have to watch it. You know, I know I know uh, Doom Slayer knows what I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, it's. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember how I got on the, the, the topic of Sid Vicious, but yeah, uh, Sid Vicious had the most gruesome retirement, though. Oh, yeah. yeah! Don't watch that video where he, uh, <laughs> yeah, breaks his leg. It's pretty bad. Uh, that's why you don't wear like really high boots in wrestling. No, don't, no, don't play that, Jesse. I don't want to see it. I have to look away. Oh my god! Uh, no, I'm literally holding my hand up to the screen because <laughs> it's, it's bad. I mean, it's not like again, it's not bloody. Don't, don't get me wrong, but I mean. When you see somebody's appendages bend a way they're not supposed to, yeah, it's yikes. It gives mm. that little you know chill through you. And I, I broke my leg once. It was a spiral fracture. You know, I didn't have a break where it, like he did. <laughs> well, apparently, it came back uh, like which in you'll 2012. See. I'm sure yeah, it, it was wasn't like for, really brief. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't for much. That was when uh, what's his name? He he slate yeah he slater yeah. was doing like his let his they were trying to make him like randy orton and like be a quote-unquote legend killer oh. to get some heat and then uh he just came back for that to get kind of basically job to him a little bit i think if i know my wrestling history correctly which i think i'm correct on that yeah. but anyway i did mention earlier one of the writers had a comment about the the satire and the social uh, convention of the movie and in a 2013 interview co-writer timothy harris no relation he talked about Hollywood's reluctance to make comedies satirizing greed and the social conventions that go along with. It. And he says, Trading Places is a sort of throwback film that owed more to the films in the 40s and the 50s than it does to anything that was going on in Hollywood at the time it was made. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, I don't think Hollywood is either. Uh, well, I guess I should have included the other quote in front of that for that sentence. But anyway, he basically says it's awkward for Hollywood to make movies like this now because the important people in Hollywood are his quote, really, really filthy rich and don't want to see that made fun of particularly. <laughs> so <laughs> that's from the writer himself. So that tells you why you don't see too many movies like this anymore. And again, like I said, uh, I thought this was interesting too. Uh, even though she was considered a screen queen in Hollywood at this point, having starred in Halloween, Halloween Two, the fog, terror train and prom night. Uh, even though, and horror movies is typically a genre that's known for exploiting their female stars. Jamie Lee Curtis, the OG scream queen, arguably the OG scream queen. You can say her mom was, but Janet Lee was in what one horror movie? Uh, although one of the most iconic, uh, she, Jamie Lee Curtis herself says she did not feel exploited in Hollywood until she went straight and started acting in mainstream movies like trading places. Cause she had never been asked to be naked in any of her horror movies. But once she went mainstream, she had to start taking her top off. So, mm. you know, an unjust uh, stereotype for horror movies being exploitive. Of course, there are exploitation movies. Don't get me wrong, but straight from the uh, to you know to use the euphemism, I guess it's a euphemism. Horse's mouth. 
Jamie Lee Curtis did not feel exploited in the horror genre. And she was in it in its second big, the silver age of horror, I guess. Uh, I wonder, is that called? I would call it, because the golden age, I would say, like, you know, the black and white universal. I guess some people might say the 70s with Hammer might be silver. I don't know. Hmm. I'm saying the 80s are silver. <laughs> if you want to argue with it, I'm not going to argue with you. Because if you say it's bronze, that's I'm fine with that, too. I'm not arguing. Uh, but anyway, this was Don Amici's first film since Suppose They Gave a War and Nobody Came in 1970. Between that, 1970 and 83, he'd been doing like television appearances and stuff like that. But this movie was basically Tarantino'd him and got him back like in the movies, which is this kind of put him on the radar again for Cocoon, which got him a, a best supporting actor and kind of brought him back uh, for a resurgence of his career. So good for him. In the beginning where they mentioned where uh, the Duke's brothers are telling the Duke boys, not the not the ones that ride the General Lee, mm-hmm. but the other ones that are in New York and rich and racist. More so than the, the, the Duke brothers and, and yeah, uh, surprisingly. Duke's a hazard. I mean, based on their language, not on their choice of top of the car roof decoration. <laughs> Put it to you that way. Uh, they, they mentioned that his starting salary to Billy Ray Valentine is going to be $80,000, which is still pretty good today for a starting salary. But adjusted for inflation, that is two, over $200,000. So that was, you know, that's, I think that's a good chunk of money today. It's an even bigger chunk back in the 80s when they made it. And when they give the $5 bonus to the guy in the Gentleman's Club, that would equate to $12.84 today, which is still a shit tip because those brothers mm. are so tight in the movie. And I thought this was interesting. And they, another like kind of time capsule piece of the movie. At the end of the movie where they're walking, uh, and they're, they're, you could see the, the World Trade Center behind them because of the distinctive architecture. Uh, Dan Aykroyd says uh, in this movie – hold on, I lost it. Uh, in this building, it's either kill or be killed. Well, that line was removed from the television broadcast after 2001 uh, out of respect for the victims of September uh. 11th. So, But of course, in the real movie, it's still there. And again, unless you know where they are, it's, it's totally not related at all. It's just the buildings in the background. you know. So I think it's kind of an extremist edit. It's not really needed. But to be sensitive of people that actually did lose somebody, it's understandable. That's fine. Uh, the baggage handlers were actually, which this would have been great. They were originally supposed to be played by Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas as the McKenzie brothers from SCTV, which is also a tie to John Candy. Uh, but when they fell through, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy recommended Tom Davis, uh, Davis and Al Franken from their SNL days. So that's how they got put in it. Would have been great to see Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, though. And uh, now, when you're reading the trivia on IMDb, there's like eight or nine entries that say, oh, the plot for this movie came from this, or it came from this. But the one I like to choose that they got most of the inspiration was from for the film was the Three Stooges short from 1935 entitled Hoy Polloi. In the short story, two society men have the nature versus nurture argument and bet $10,000, which is $186,000 in today's money, that one of them can convert the Stooges into gentlemen. So to me, of all the explanations, that follows most closely along to it. And I'm, I'm saying, I'm, I'm making the call, the official 80s revisited call for the inspiration of this film is, in fact, the Hoi Polloi from The Three Stooges. I don't care what the writers say. <laughs> I'm just saying it. And, of course, I'm being facetious. Okay. Now, these last two pieces of trivia are a lead-in to next episode mm. about Twilight Zone, the movie, because this movie was filmed immediately after Twilight Zone, the movie, in which Vic Morrow and two child actors were killed when a helicopter crashed during production. John Landis was later tried and somehow acquitted of manslaughter 
for the, which was the first time in history that a Hollywood director was charged for a death that had occurred on set. And you know what? He's the one that said action. He's the one that should have taken that should have gone to jail for it. More on that next week, everybody. The true 80s revisited Hollywood story. There you go. The Twilight Zone, the movie. Mm. Uh, but anyway, the character Billary Valentine, strangely enough, is actually based on a character from the Twilight Zone episode, uh, season one, episode 28. The character's named Harry Valentine. And the name of the episode is A Nice Place to Visit. In this episode, uh, a small-time crook is killed and given everything he desires but grows weary of always winning. Hmm. So an interesting uh, connection there. And again, more – we'll go into the entire detail of that next week on Twilight Zone, the movie. Because the last time we had an episode that had – where it had a deep historical dive into it was actually when we did the Buddy Holly story – and talked about the day the music died and all that on that episode, which I think was, which was a lot of fun. His, you know, actually researching an historical, the historical aspects of an event that was depicted in a movie. Whereas the actual historical aspect we're going to be talking about next week is an onset occurrence from the movie itself. And let me tell you this too. If, if you haven't seen Twilight Zone, the movie, you should watch it. It's, it's, a, it's fine. I like the movie, but the controversy around it is going to be the big thing. The big kind of talking point next week. Uh, now, the footage of the accident is on YouTube. Hmm. Uh, if you just watch just the footage, I mean, it's it happens so fast. It's just like, oh, my God. And then it's, I mean, it's over. Do not watch. I'm telling you right now, if you don't like gore, and it, I mean, it's honestly, it's frankly terrible to see. Like, I'm telling you, I'm giving you that PSA hmm. now. If you, wa- if you watch the slow motion version, you see more than you ever want to see of people getting in a, an accident, nonetheless, but... It's not pretty. It is not pretty. Jeez. I'm telling you, if you don't like that stuff, don't watch the slow motion. Just, you, watch the regular shot. It's just like, oh, my God, to give you some context, it's not really graphic. Do not watch the slowed down version. I'm telling you right now, you will thank me because you don't need – some images are just burning to your head. You know, when I, Now, when the internet came out, we had ogris.com and all this shit where you could see people getting their heads cut off and all that, like, and faces of death and all that stuff. You know, And there's some things that I saw on the internet that – I never wanted to see in my life. The slow motion version of this scene is something I wish I had never seen. Mm. If that interests you, because you have a dark <laughs> sense of humor, which is fine. Some people want to, you know, like to see that. I'm just giving you a warning now that, you know, what the regular version is fine. The, you know, the live action, you really don't see anything. You just see it fall. The slow motion version, do not watch it if you don't want to have something burn into your brain. So enough of that till next week. That's the stinger. No pun intended. Uh, but anyway, trading places score wise, I give it an 8.5. It's, it's one of the best Christmas movies. It's fantastic. Aside from a, a, a couple of bits of language that they really, you know, in a sense, it, you do it to make the characters even more despicable. But then Eddie Murphy uses a term that really, you know, we don't use anymore, which Bill and Ted used it too. But, you don't use that term anymore. So and the, the other terms they use shouldn't be used anymore, but I understand it. Having a villain say something because it makes them worse. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it needed in the script. Uh, and of course the blackface thing at the end, people find that problematic. I already spoke on that, but not, none of that affects my score for this film. It is an 8.5. Cause it is, I, I can even give it a nine to be honest with you. You know what? Scratch. I'm going to, I'm going to bump it up a half point just to round it up at a nine. It is one of the best comedies of the eighties. It's one of the best comedies of all time. The chemistry 
with everybody. The the, the uh, Don Amici and his brother are great. Eddie Murphy and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Dan Aykroyd are all great together. You know, it really has that kind of team feel, so to speak, when they're doing their plan. And, and uh, Denim Elliott at the end too. It's just great. It's just all all these all those factors came together. Unfortunately, under John Landis's direction, which again separating the artist from the art, you know, the person from the art, so to speak. Great job directing. The script is great. All that all that comes together to make one of the best Christmas movies ever made. And I, you know, it's not a Christmas movie. I mean, it, you know, he's dressed like Santa at some point. There's a Christmas party. Hmm. I hate the crowd. If you if you think a movie's not a Christmas movie, you need to find something else to argue about in your life. Okay, as far as I'm concerned, it's a Christmas movie. And what, no matter what you say, is not going to change that. Okay, because every every fucking year, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. You're only saying that to start to stir a fucking pot. It is if it's, if you don't think it's a Christmas movie, that's fine. I do. I can give you my reasons for it, just like you can give me your reasons that it's not. They're both valid. I don't care. People are starving all over the world. Let's talk about that. Doesn't matter if Die Hard's a Christmas movie or not. It is for me. If it's not for you, that's fine. Nobody cares. Okay, stepping off my tiny soapbox. <laughs> anyway, in the real world, June eighth, nineteen eighty three. Not only was John Landis going to court for his murder of two children and an actor previously, but on June 9th, oh, actually, again, this movie released June 8th, 1983. In June 9th, our good friends overseas, UK Pete's, uh, and, uh, oh my God, who's our other friend over there? I would only pull up my email. <laughs> many friends over there. But many, yes, yes, yes. Uh, oops, I, I turned off, I closed my 80s revisited mail and opened my work mail because it's still a work day for me. <laughs> Like most people, UK Pete and who's our other friend over there? Oh my God! Hold on, I gotta, I got, I, I'm not gonna let this go. You guys, because <laughs> it, it, oh my, I'm gonna kick myself when I remember it. Where I put it in the work folder? Where's the work folder? Lee, UK Lee. God damn it! Sorry, Lee. Jeez, sorry, man. UK Pete, UK Lee. To make it sound like you didn't forget. <laughs> nah, I want him to know the links. I, I paused the podcast. <laughs> To, to make myself remember good old UK Lee, our president and vice president of the 80s Visit UK fan club. Uh, <laughs> rightfully so, rightfully deserved. But anyway, over there across the pond on June 9th, 1983, Britain's conservative government led by Margaret Thatcher is re-elected by a landslide majority. And I'm sorry you told me not to do the accent ever again, but you know what? <laughs> Changed it yeah, up anyway, a sorry. <laughs> yep. And then a few days later on June 13th, the Pioneer 10 passes the orbit of Neptune and at that point was the first man-made object to leave the vicinity of the major planets of the solar system. So interesting time both uh, across the pond in the motherland of England, where my last name originates, Harris, mm. and then, of course, in outer space millions of miles away as the first man-made object left our galaxy. Though, you know what? Fuck that thing because Pluto's still a planet to me, goddammit. It's still real to me, damn it! Uh... <laughs> So, yeah. Anyway. You were told as a that, child, that's all. Yep. <laughs> yeah, standing with the brontosaurus. Oh, it's the apatosaurus. Yeah. Nah, bro, that's a brontosaurus. Whatever. More on, uh, not to get on that tangent, but so everybody knows, it would, go look it up. It's a, it's a fun thing. That it, it can make a great movie about the apatosaurus, brontosaurus thing because there was two parts of a different dinosaur that were made into one dinosaur called the brontosaurus. However, there is now, in recent readings, at least that I found, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody, but uh, the uh, the brontosaurus and the are now separate species, supposedly. Yep, I'll have to back. check that out. Yep. So 
when I say brontosaurus, don't correct me. It's true. It's damn true. <laughs> but uh, anyway, back to the future. Since last week, we've had Christmas and a lot of stuff. Uh, Jesse, what have you seen or done or played or experienced or anything? In I saw the, the man week? spider. Oh, yeah. Spider-Man. Wait. Spider-Man, he's... I used to know who he was. I can't remember. Well, one day they'll find out who he is. I mean, I hope so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We've seen it from now on. Spoiler alert for Spider-Man: No Way Home. If you're listening to this in a country where it's not out yet, we're about to we're we're going to talk about it. Spoilerific, starting now. Okay. Well, Jesse, what do you think? I really can't remember much of it. Keep that going. No, I really enjoyed it. Um. Everyone was giving it a nine. I don't know if it's a nine, but it's really up there for me. Um, it's the best MCU movie to be since Endgame. Yeah, I felt like it was that at a much less um, severe level. Like Endgame felt like the world was really going to end. Yeah, this yeah. one was just another chapter in the story, but it was a really cool chapter in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I really liked it. I really like that. I'd probably give it like a eight, eight and a half, something like that. I think I get. I think nine's fine with me personally. Um, yeah. Of course, uh, as I alluded to last week, the spoiler in the uh, soundtrack title did right. come true because oh, Aunt was May the title died. That? Oh, that's it was, it was May's death. Gotcha. And I was just like, I was, oh my! I was like, and then it, as I'm watching, like, oh, it's a multiverse. They're probably it, it could be like a, a false thing, and then it happened. I'm like, nah, this bitch nope. is dead. <laughs> she did, <laughs> which was a great moment because you know right. that's a, you know because this Spider-Man, Tom Holland Spider-Man, never had that Uncle Ben moment until this movie. Right, right. So this, uh, like, I don't. Tom Holland is a good Spider-Man and a good Peter Parker. I don't think he's the best personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Uncharted movie is going to suck. A because yep. of Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> B Tom Holland. He's a fine actor. He's a good dude. I'm not talking anything bad about him. He he is not right for Nathan Drake. No, I agree. When you play those games and it's basically Mal from Firefly, aka Nathan Fillion, which I mean not voiced by him obviously, but right. clearly that's like who it's almost based on. You can't go from that to Tom Holland. Sorry, Tom Holland. He's like Elijah Wood. He's I, I don't know. I don't know. How, no, I don't even know how old he is, but he's—he just looks too young to be 96. Nathan Drake. So twenty-five oh, wow. years well, old, right? He's, I mean, he's, he's yeah. still. I get. No, wait, wait. You said eighty-six or ninety-six? Wait, ninety-six. Oh yeah! Wow, he's he's a baby, young Jesus. boy, which is great for Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man is that young hero. Yeah, you know. So, and what this movie did to stay on track with this movie. Now he's complete. Like now he has the mytho. He has all the Spider-Man mythos to be Spider-Man for the new trilogy they're talking about, which I'm all on board for. Because at the end of this one, he's in his. He's not in a, you know the Iron Spider suit. He's in basically you know a one he makes. It looks like Spider-Man now. Like it looks like you know because Spider-Man in the comics he, he made his suit just like in the original, even though uh, the Tobey Maguire one. You know it's obviously he didn't make that. Right. Right. So, you know what I'm saying? But at the end of this film, the costume they show looks, you know, it has a good look to it. It felt like Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. This movie, you know, uh, I, I I, truly, I've thought about this a long time. You know, people say, who's your favorite superhero? Well, I have a lot of favorites, but I think the greatest superhero ever created is in fact Spider-Man. Hmm. 
because it's it's I think it's relatable to anybody because Spider-Man in his personal life, at least when he came out, uh, the Tom McFarlane writing stuff took it places I didn't care for uh, at the time. But, you know, he's he is an everyman. He's a kid. He's you know, when do you start reading comics? Ninety nine percent of the time when you're a kid. Yeah. Of course, or he was a student, you know, I mean, he's a young guy. He's he's not old like Dr. Strange or, or Tony Stark or Captain America or Black Panther. He's young. He's a kid. He still has that naivety. Like, I could save these guys. Sorry, Dr. Strange. I could save these people, mm-hmm. you know, which he pays the call. You know, he this is the movie that made him made Tom Holland Spider-Man actually Spider-Man. Homecoming was fine. Michael Keaton was great as a vulture. Uh, not No Way Home. Far From Home. It was fine, you know. It was it leaned a little too heavy to the Iron Man side of it for me. Uh, but this one, this is the one that made Spider Man actually Spider Man as far as the comics go, because he now he has now he knows with great power comes great responsibility. He knows his stuff, you know, his actions have consequences, and he made not the ultimate sacrifice, so to speak, but he, you know, he did what Spider Man would do in the comics. He sacrificed everything that he cares about to save the world. And that, that is Spider-Man. He's done it numerous times, even to save one person. He's, I mean, you know, he, you know, he's, he, uh, Batman got his parents shot in the alley and Spider-Man lost his parents as an orphan. And then they came back multiple times in different storylines. And of course he loses uncle Ben, but I mean, Peter Parker as a character is always sacrificing for anybody else. And he did that. I got, this is the one in the MCU, at least Spider-Man's storyline that really sold that to where he is now actually Spider-Man in terms of the character and like what goes into the pathos of that character. Uh, needless to say, I love this movie. Um, absolutely. And then the the worst kept secret in all of film <laughs> ever, the fact that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are in it. Yeah. And they like seeing them all like this has never happened before in film to where like you you've united jean like like done something like that in a superhero film where you know it'd be like if all of a sudden james bond or daniel craig walks into a room and there's sean connery and pierce brosnan and mm-hmm. roger moore and they're all still alive you know what i'm saying right like that doesn't happen and when you see all of them on screen together mm-hmm. i think you you see how good of a peter parker toby mcguire was and you see how really good a Spider-Man Andrew Garfield was. And I think Tom's right there in the middle. He's a good Peter Parker. He, I think he's a better Peter Parker than Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, in terms of his how he his acting. Of course, it'd be, you know, that's everybody's has their own opinion, but I I think but he's a he's a good middle between them. He's like the best of he does the best of both, though I don't think he's quite as good of, as a Peter Parker as Toby was in the first two, I'm not counting three. Uh, and then Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man was just so much more kind of Spidey-like uh, in terms of the comic book Spider-Man is where I'm going at with that. So, but I mean, when, uh, of course, I knew everybody knew that was going to happen because, again, worst kept secret in Hollywood. Hmm. But the moment, there were so many moments where I got teared up in this movie. And that's mainly due to nostalgia because of, you know, Spider-Man was the first, or, you know, not since, I guess, Tim Burton's Batman in 89, when we had 2001 or two, and Spider-Man, the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man came out. That was the last time, you know, that was the last time until Iron Man started the MCU. 
at the time, or I guess X-Men, well, Spider-Man opened the door for every Marvel property pretty much to be a big budget movie. The Punisher went Lundgren doesn't count. It. That didn't open any doors. Uh, I, I, oh, no, I'm sorry. I take it back. Sorry. I got to step back. I got to be real here. Wesley Snipes' Blade did it first because that started a trilogy, a series that ran pre-Spider-Man up into that. But Spider-Man was the one that was the huge, huge blockbuster. That was the film that uh, you know James Cameron was supposed to do Spider-Man years ago. But before Spider-Man came out, I mean, so much turmoil. I mean, I, me and my friend Jason remember getting our, our X-Men comics, and in the bullpen section, it was like, countdown to Spider-Man the movie, 390 days. And this was like in the 90s, you know? Mm. So it was, a, it was a big, it was a long time coming. You, you know, so now, basically, that's an MCU movie. That trilogy's MCU now because it's part of the multiverse. Um, but you know, the nostalgia runs high in this film, but it, it works. It worked so good. All the callbacks about them relating like, oh yeah, I had to kill, I, you know, my friend fought me, went evil and tried to kill me. My, you know, my, uh, you know, I lost uncle Ben. I lost uncle Ben. I, you, you lose aunt May. Uh, we never been on a team. Who are the Avengers? It was so, it was so good. It was so well done. But the moment of the movie for me, the part, like I, I almost, I had to like fight back like a, <laughs> like a, a audible, like. <laughs> cry almost is when andrew garfield saved mary jane yeah, yeah. that point i had chills i was just like when it happened i'm like uh, in my mind i'm like please the perfect thing to happen right now is andrew garfield spider-man saves her mm-hmm. and I mean, I mean i got chills right now talking about it. that was the <laughs> moment of this movie like seriously yeah because I mean, amazing spider-man 2 i didn't like that movie mainly because i hated what they did with electro it was too batman forever but andrew garfield was great and that scene where he tries to save Gwen Stacy, which of course we, anybody who's read a Spider-Man comic knows that that was going to happen as soon as she fell. When he shoots his web in that in Amazing Spider-Man Two, and the web's going down, it's it's a beautifully done scene. It's the best part of that movie. The web, it makes like a hand, so the web looks like a hand coming out of the web shooter. Really great. Of course, she snaps her neck mm-hmm. just like in the comics. But then in this one, you know, Tom Holland's going to save her, almost gets her. Oh nope. Goblin takes her away, which is, and then Andrew Garfield, not, not going to happen again, motherfucker, not mm-hmm. again. And he's saying, it's just like, and, and, and beautiful dialogue. He's like, are you all right? And she's like, yeah. And then she looks at him like, are you? And it's just, he's like, he almost cries. It's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. And it, it's that, I mean, look at that. That's fucking acting. Best supporting <laughs> actor, Andrew Garfield Oscars telling you, but this like he, they were, their chemistry together is so like this movie is nothing but enjoyable. It does take a while to get going. It is a little slow. I think they could have sped it up a little bit. Uh, but once it gets going, it gets going and it's just, it is so enjoyable. I had such a good time watching this. I have not felt this way watching an MCU movie since Endgame. Uh, not counting the TV shows. Uh, TV shows have been great. Black Widow, I was pissed off about Taskmaster the whole time. Uh, Shang-Chi was great until the Dragon Ball Z ending and haven't seen Eternals yet. And what was, I think, am I missing another one? I don't know. This one fucking, this is the MCU. Right. This is the standard that they all need to like strive for. Uh, the real, I think the hardest question to answer is this the best Spider-Man movie? Because uh, I think Into the Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man movie. This one is like, the problem is this one is emotional and nostalgic. Because it yeah, pulls back yeah. on all these other moments that are so impactful as a fan, as a moviegoer in the past. So that, you know, that makes it better with that knowledge. But as a, if you just take it in a vacuum, 
maybe it's the second best next to Spider-Verse because Spider-Verse is its own thing. And they do a really good job of explain of you know being self-contained in the first one, even though there's two more coming, which I'm totally on for. Uh, but nevertheless, gushed about it long enough, uh, <laughs> and people are probably still skip on hell. Like, God damn, they're still talking about Spider-Man. So <laughs> we both liked it. Go see it in the theater. Uh, obviously, you ha- you probably have since you're listening. If you're listening to this part and not yeah. skipping through it, because we spoil all the or good you stuff. Just don't care. <laughs> yeah. Either way, uh, Defoe was amazing. Like, Defoe was uh, awesome. Uh, yeah. Alfred Alfred Molina was bad. Like, I didn't expect him to stay good. That was so like, oh my, like mm. all those little. This is a this is a this the dialogue in this movie honestly is a masterclass of callbacking, yeah. with uh, you know, Octopus he says he's you know I thought oh maybe he, he's gonna go bad again because we got the Sinister Six even though it was a Sinister Five, uh I guess we'll never get a Sinister Six movie as close right. as we're gonna get, <laughs> but um we're like he like and he see you know he sees Toby McGuire he's like Peter you've, you're all grown up it's like oh man it's like it's <laughs> so the it's the little things that make a big difference it's the reunion to where. Special. <laughs> exactly but but it works so good to where it's not like heavy-handed mm-hmm. like in uh star wars the rise of skywalker which it had a good mix of subtle callback but then also like hammer you know thor's hammer to hit a thumbtack into a wall kind of like callback much like the next film i'd like to talk about if you've seen it jesse which is the matrix resurrections i haven't seen it yet okay i'm not gonna spoil I'll it, it for, i'll watch it for next time but in a nutshell, I fucking hated it. I <laughs> I was so disappointed. And this is gonna without spoiling Bummer. it. Here here's why. I thought the story was stupid. Let me rephrase that. I thought several key parts of the story were stupid. Some things were fine. But the Matrix is known for incredible action sequences and amazing special effects, innovative special effects. It redefined action films when it came out even though technically what it did aside from not counting bullet time it just brought asian action filmmaking to american audiences is what it did let's be perfectly honest with that uh they didn't get yin wo ping to do the fight choreography for this one so the fighting is much more close up it's much more fast cut it doesn't feel like a matrix movie all i wanted to do the whole time while watching resurrections was stop it and watch the original trilogy because i am a defender of two and three uh, I'm not saying they're perfect, but I think they're good sequels for what they try set out to do. But this isn't 90s revisited, uh, or actually, I guess 2000s revisited for make the sequels of the Matrix. The original one was like 90, maybe 98, 99, late 90s. I'm pretty sure. Might be off on that. I'm bad with dates. Anyway, hmm. without spoiling it, I didn't like it. Although that might taint some of your opinion since I'm being so vocal about it. But some people you know, online, it's one of those things like. People are like, oh, I see what they're doing here. And I'm like, yeah, I saw what they did too. Because again, I'll go to the Thor, the Mjolnir hammering in a thumbtack. Subtlety. <laughs> Doesn't work for me. And I mean, here's, I guess to put it in a nutshell too. Now we know which Wykowski sibling was the more talented one. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. not, I think Lana is the one that directed this one and wrote it. I think together, you know, they're like the Wonder Twins, which is a reference to the movie too. Uh, you'll see what I mean when you watch it. Uh, so enough of that. Don't want to spoil it too much uh, to get a fresh your fresh opinion on it, Jesse. But uh, also, uh, video game wise, I got that's I'd say IMDb is a five point eight right now. I'd say a five. Okay. Uh, it's worth watching one time to see what they did with the franchise, and then it's to this is the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull to me for the Matrix. I will watch one through three Ooh. and love it. I will forget this one happened personally. 
Some people, you know, I've, again, I've seen people online gushing about it, say how much they love it. If you like it, that's totally fine. I'm not going to argue with you. We can have fun and discuss what I like about it, what you don't like about it, and vice versa. But it's not for me. It's a no for me, dog. <laughs> but uh, video game wise, I did get the Guardians of the Galaxy game, and it is fucking awesome. <laughs> um, it's uh, now when the Avengers came out. The Avengers game came out last, yeah, I think it was 2020, last year. We're still in 2021. Um, it got a lot of heat. Oh, it's not the movie actors. Well, it wasn't supposed to be. This is a comic game, not based on the movie characters, uh, even though every main character is an MCU character. You know, they didn't really accept Miss Marvel, which she's coming to the MCU in uh, the Marvel's movie, the Captain Marvel sequel. Uh, so that game got panned because it was more like Destiny, you know, an online grinder game which i like that game i do see why people didn't like it but guardians of the galaxy it's a art it's a straight up action rpg but it's much more like you, you only play a star lord which is at first was kind of a bummer but it's more like dragon age the original mm. to where you're more so directing your team so you actually get to play you're playing the leader and you have to use tack you have to you're, it's like a action tactics game uh and it the uh the characterization in this game is on par with the movies and that, and if I'm a huge James Gunn fanboy, that is saying a lot. The dialogue, I, I like the video game Drax better than the movie Drax. I wish I could just take Dave Batista out and put this video game one in. Uh, so good. The voice acting is hundred percent top notch. All of it. It's, it's really good. It's on sale right now. I got it at target for 30 bucks for a uh, PlayStation four. Cause I still don't got a PlayStation five. Anybody <laughs> out there want to hook me up? I'll pay you reasonable amount uh for that uh but it's great it's gorgeous i mean honestly when games look this good on ps4 mm. it, i don't i don't even know why i need a ps5 to be absolutely honest with you except for you know horizon zero dawn sequel and uh returnal and uh death loop you know these great games i'm not being able to play <laughs> although we'll play horizon on playstation 4 if i have to but i would much rather play it on playstation 5 you know at peak performance as being like I'm really, I'm really hoping to get one before February, so that's like my inaugural. That's my PS5 launch game. I wanted it to be Resident Evil 8, but I've talked about it before that didn't happen. Uh, but anyway, going to the Galaxy, the video game, it's great. I'm about halfway through it. It's tons of fun. Uh, my daughter Violet loves sitting like uh, we had a ra Rocket Raccoon stuffed animal from Disneyland a long time ago last year when we went, and she didn't care. Like, she's just like she didn't know who it was. She's watched me play the game and seen Rocket on it. I'm like, baby, we have a stuffed animal. And she's like, she's like, oh. so now she will not let go of her rocket raccoon stuffed animal, which <laughs> just makes me warm and fuzzy. Uh, so great game, super fun. I mean, it would have to take a straight up nosedive for me not to, you know, say it's, I haven't played many games this year, you know, in terms of single player. Yeah. Uh, but it's, again, take this for what it's worth. It's my game of the year and I haven't even finished it yet because mm. it's the funnest game I played all year, single player wise. Uh, and again, I haven't played that many. Oh, no, I play Metroid Dread, and I like this game better than Metroid Dread. So it's just, I can't help but play this game with a smile on my face. You know, it's a big part of it, too. And again, I like, and it's, it, James, more than any MCU movie, aside from maybe No Way Home, uh, James Gunn nailed, like, in, in the Guardians movies, I think he really blends the comic and this, you know, he, he blends the medium of comics and movie making in the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is why I think he's a perfect director for comic book movies. And if you don't agree with me, go watch The Suicide Squad, the new one, not the old one, right. the new one, and see what I mean. Like, he, he knows how to translate comics to film. 
his style perfectly accentuates that. Uh, and this game is the same thing going from comic to video game. The, the people that made this knocked it out of the park. And again, it has, it would have taken a nosedive for me not to be this happy about it when it's over. Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been up to since Christmas. Got a whole bunch of cool <laughs> Christmas stuff. Got some graphic novels. I got, um, I got an amazing Spider-Man graphic novel, which captures McFarlane's run from Spider-Man 300 with like the introduction of Venom, that era. And I got the Preacher, uh, the uh, DC or Vertigo. Was it DC or Vertigo? It might have been, I think it was Vertigo. It was Vertigo, uh, DC run of Preacher, the omnibuses. So I have the complete set now, hardcover, looking badass on my bookshelf <laughs> because that's all I get for Christmas these days is yeah. more of the uh, ex- expensive $100 graphic novels that I don't get during the year. Because if I want, you know, we're adults. If uh, we want stuff, we buy it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so like that. So been fun. Uh, this is our last podcast of 2021. Sure is. That's you know the year of our return. So next, you know, hey, you know, I think we only missed what one week since we came back. So that's not too bad. Uh, better than average. To quote Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> so, but we're gonna kick off next year with uh, Twilight Zone the movie next week. Oh. Did get an email. Sorry. Speaking of our friends in the UK, that's why I was supposed to have it up to begin with. Mm. Inbox uh, UK Pete. He says, Merry Christmas. Thanks for keeping us all entertained this year. Have a great Christmas. Here's to a better 2022 for us all. Pete sent from my portable communications device. Wink, wink. Mm. Go listen to the old episode where I talk about that for that reference. But anyway, same to you, Pete and you, UK Lee. I hope all's going well over there across the pond. And I do have a, I want to ask you guys something. Let me know via email. My daughter loves Peppa Pig, but the problem is all the Peppa Pig toys over here are like just of Peppa. And I've gone on to eBay and Amazon and over there, y'all got like Mr. Lion. You got more of the adult characters. (laughs) So if y'all can hook me up, let me know the shipping and everything. Maybe we can work something out. I can get, you know, an illegal shipment of Peppa Pig toys over here for my (laughs) daughter. Just hit me up via email. I'll, I'll pay you for your trouble. I just know the shipping's probably astronomical, and that's kind of the that's probably the uh, the problem here. Because over here we got like a lot of them, but over there y'all got a lot of the toys that we don't have over here. Because of course it's a UK originated program, and the thing is, you, I'll see some uh, of them on eBay. It's like, oh, it's ten bucks, and I look at the shipping, forty one dollars shipping. I'm like, geez. that can't be right. <laughs> for for <laughs> Mister Lion, he's cool, but I don't want to pay forty dollars to <laughs> shipping. So UK Lee, UK Pete, let me know if we can work something out. Uh, and again, if you want to get a hold of us, 80srevisited at gmail.com on Facebook, 80s Revisited Podcast on Instagram, 80s underscore revisited. And don't forget to check out our good friends uh, with Cajun Toy Review, John and Lafayette, and the BAMcast with Ben, my friend Wyatt. And Ben, got to give up. Actually, well, you know, Ben, ben I'm not sure if Doomslayer listens to the podcast or not. I, I, maybe it's just if he knows the movie, or maybe he's keeping tabs on me. I don't know. But, uh, I got to say, you know what? I, I Let him know this if he's not listening, Ben. But I think, you know, I really think Doom Slayer is like the Grinch because, you know, he's he got this big gruff exterior and like he's really kind of scary. You know, I mean, if I if he if I would have seen him coming before he ambushed me a few weeks ago, I probably would have, you know, a little pee would have came out. <laughs> but, you know, in my stocking this year, when I reached in, I pulled out a Doom Slayer T-shirt, which a at first it terrified me to know that he might have came into my house in the <laughs> middle of the night. And put that in my stocking all the way from Tasmania to do that. Mm-hmm. But then the, then it occurred to me, I, th- I think it was his way, honestly. I think he has a really big heart under all those muscles. I think he was just being like, you know, 
I didn't mean to hit you that hard with the chair, the chain. Here's my shirt. Wear it. So I'm not wearing it like today, Doom Slayer. That the Indians got. <laughs> <laughs> we did. I did wash it immediately. It has been washed, so hopefully I don't get you know Tasmanian COVID. Yeah, that's a little uh, from U.S. history, possibly. But yeah. <laughs> head shaking, head or head head hanging American yeah, right. history, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, Ben, tell Doom Slayer. You know what? I, I think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to believe there is good in Doom Slayer. And he did that, you know, to, as like a final peace offering to like, you know, since he didn't want to shake my hand, but he saw me promoting him on a shirt here in America. So, you know, until I hear otherwise, Doom Slayer, I will wear it with pride. There we go. Until I hear otherwise. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all of our listeners all around the world. Stay safe. This is dropping New Year's Day, so you can listen to it on your way to your bar, your party or whatever. Uh, and, you know. Drive home safely so you can listen to it sober on the way home. Do that. Mm-hmm. You know, let us be your designated driving home entertainment <laughs> on your way home from your New Year's Eve party because we want you to be here, especially for next week as we talk about Twilight Zone the movie and the controversy that happened roughly about, let's see, from where I li- from where my parents live, it's like 10 miles, so about less than an hour from where I live is where it actually happened. So oh, wow. a lot of fun historical stuff we'll talk about next week. But that's your homework. Twilight Zone, the movie. It's a good movie regardless of the controversy. Uh, segment done by Spielberg. Get our man John Lithgow from uh, Santa Claus last week in it. It's a lot of fun remake of modern directors remaking old episodes of the Twilight Zone, except John the Asshole Landis. So until then, everybody, for the last time in 2021, I am and will remain, hopefully in 2022, Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! Find this show and more on Facebook.com slash AwesomePods and follow us on Twitter at awesome pods.